0: Well, welcome to the water cooler, everybody. I'm David Brody. It's Friday, October 30th, 2020. And I don't know about you, I'm loaded up with Excedrin, Advil, Tums, because the election is now just five days away. The president is in the all important state of Michigan today. If he can pull out a win there again in 2020, he most likely will be on his way to a second term. And one of the key states in this election might actually be Minnesota. Beautiful this time of year, by the way. Uh, Both Biden and Trump are there today. Ten key electoral votes up for grabs. Trump may need Minnesota if he fails in the Rust Belt. And voter enthusiasm. Look at this van. I mean, boy, this is an uplifting message. This guy's going around the country with the old settle for Biden van. Oiga volt. As for Trump, this sign at a polling place sums it all up. Trump, the American dream biden socialist tyranny we're going to discuss all of this on the big show today uh, but first our newsmaker someone who's been on the campaign trail with president trump he's very close to the president i want to bring in david bossy uh donald trump's former deputy campaign manager hey david thanks for being here i appreciate it no oh, my pleasure good to be with you well tell me the state of the race uh, tell us about what you've experienced where you've been and what your sense of all of this is at this point well, I've been blessed to
1: have been crisscrossing the country with the president over the last couple of weeks. Uh, it has been an incredible journey, just like it was in 2016. Uh, this president is going to win on Election Day next week, on Tuesday. Uh, he is going to get to 270 electoral college votes. Uh, we are looking at the battleground states only. Uh, to be honest with you, and 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 it's, it's a little... Um, uh, unconventional, but we don't really look at Illinois and New York and California as far as the popular vote is concerned. They're run; the Democrats are running up the score so that they can use that old tired excuse once again.
0: So, David, let's talk about battleground states. Uh, Look, we we don't have to geek out too much on the path to 270, but what's the what's the kind of the uh, and it's not even a simple path. but Maybe it is a simple path. What what needs to happen on election night from a battleground state standpoint? I mean, you got to have Florida, North Carolina. I mean, you got to have Arizona, right? You got to have those three. I think those are important ones. Uh,
1: The president uh, is going to win Florida, Georgia, North Carolina decisively. You know, I saw that Vice President Biden uh, was spending time in Georgia and and and, um, and Florida recently, and it was um, it has been a waste of his time, uh, truly a, a, a truly a waste of his time. So we appreciate him uh, doing that. I want to send him a thank you note, uh, actually, <laughs> uh, because because he can't win there. Uh, this president is going to win re-election through the spine of of his re-election effort which is Florida, Georgia, North Carolina. He is going to win Arizona again. I believe we win uh, Nevada. I believe we uh, have a great chance there to put that in the win column. We just barely lost it in 2016. This president, what he's doing uh, you know, with, uh, with the seniors uh, coming to him at the end here and with the Hispanic vote is tremendous, and we're going to see that play out. Then you get to Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin and Minnesota, as you were just talking about. Uh, if we have done everything that I believe we're going to do, we just really need to win one of those. And right. I think we're on track to win multiple of those. Uh, and we're incredibly optimistic. Uh, the president has a vision of hope and opportunity for America, for freedom and prosperity, uh, and, and that America's best days are yet to come. Joe Biden, you know, uh, the dark winter, close the economy, uh, be scared, uh, no Christmas. Uh, it, it is, it's, a, it's a terrible thing that America's best days are behind it. That is not what America and the American people want. That's not what they want to hear. So I think that President Trump's going to win re-election. We're excited. Uh, and uh, this president has 11 rallies, uh, not including today, just on Sunday and Monday. Mm-hmm. Just on Sunday and Monday, he has 11 rallies uh, across the country, crisscrossing, because the American people don't just give the presidency to anybody. You have to go and earn it. And that's what this president is doing. And that's why that's what I, I think. Joe Biden sees it slipping between his fingers because he's getting out there. The more he gets out there, the more opportunity he has yeah. to make mistakes. And I think that's what he's going to do.
0: David, let me ask you about some of this mail and balloting stuff. I mean, the Supreme Court basically uh, allowing North Carolina and, and uh, Pennsylvania as well at this point to go ahead and accept ballots after Election Day. They would have to be postmarked by Election postmarked, Day. Yeah. Postmarked, yeah. yeah. but yeah, but accept them after Election Day. Um, well, the Republicans had argued against uh, that and, and got uh, the ruling came against them. What's, what's your take on some of those rulings? Well, as long as they're postmarked, look, I I don't like that. I think they should be in by election night.
1: That's a fact. But thankfully, they're postmarked by that date. So uh, they can't go, the Democrats can't go and Mm -hmm. find votes post election That's the worry. And so we're going to take it very seriously. Our plan is to win. So we won't have to worry about that.
0: Yeah. Let me ask you, you mentioned uh, Wisconsin, Michigan, Pennsylvania. you got to win one of them. So just so I understand, I mean, this is, this is my understanding. You win Florida. You win North Carolina. You win Arizona. Georgia and Texas, obviously. You're going to win all of that. And so if you do all of that uh, and win the states that you won in 2016, then, then if you can just win one of those three in the Rust Belt, I know you think you can win all three, but if you win one of the three, especially Pennsylvania or Michigan, then you're, you've got a second term.
1: Oh, well, of course. Uh, we, we, and we did win three of those four. We didn't win Minnesota. We only lost by 27,000 votes in 2016. We, we won three uh, of those four right. in 2016. We are well on a way to, to winning them again. Uh, and I think we do win uh, them. So it is. It, we think that we could uh, be right in the area of, of the Electoral College that we won last time.
0: You know, the president out tweeting today, and I've got them right in front of me. Uh, he's tweeting in all caps, as you might imagine. Uh, he always, he does that a lot. Supreme Court, for example, is what he says. And then he says Second Amendment. And it really does kind of sh- sum up exactly what he's been campaigning this whole time on, David.
1: As I was saying a moment ago, David, it is ex- you're exactly right. This president is uh, understands who he is. He is very comfortable in his own skin. He understands what sent him to Washington to begin with. The consummate outsider, somebody who was not of Washington, who was sent here to make change. Somebody who believes in uh, the sanctity of uh, the Constitution, and he is going and he has and will continue to appoint judges that will uphold the Constitution and not make laws from the bench. Uh, he-, he wants to uphold your Second Amendment rights, which Joe Biden, you know, wants to. Wants to kill. It is issue after issue, whether it's higher taxes or lower taxes, more regu- job-killing regulation or less regulation, open borders and and health care for illegal immigrants or for border yeah. security. Whether it's for anarchy in the streets and 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 supporting Antifa versus law and order and supporting the women and men in blue who serve us in every community across this country. It, it is um, it's it's what Ronald Reagan called Bold Colors, Not Pale Pastels. Mm -hmm. It's an election about big, important issues. It's the most consequential election of our lifetime,
0: David. It's the the future of America at stake, and that's why President Trump's gonna win. David, I've got to ask you about, the, what are the polls missing here exactly? I mean, we see poll, forget the national polls for a second. I mean, the national polls <laughs> yeah. are kind of ridiculous. Uh, but the state polls even show Biden up a, a little bit too. Are, are the polls, it doesn't seem to me the polls are, they, can, they don't measure voter turnout. I'm wondering about your, your voter, voter turnout models of what you guys are seeing there at the campaign or inside. Yeah, the, the secret. Go ahead.
1: Yeah, the secret weapon is the data. The secret weapon is voter identification the secret weapon is spending the last four years building on the incredible machine uh, that the RNC and the Trump campaign built in 2016, cultivated once again in 2018, and for the last two years has ident- registered voters and identified those people who support President Trump. And we're going to be turning them out in record numbers. And that's really going to be uh, the difference maker here. I, I really feel yeah. our ability to turn out every single Trump voter uh, is is just uh, it, it, the the Biden campaign only in, about a month ago figured it, realized that they better get a ground game. And it's a little late here in the ninth inning to try to start that.
0: Yeah, that enthusiasm gap, uh, you know, Biden is showing up at rallies with what some people honking their horn and a couple <laughs> of cows in a field. Uh, hey, David, I, I, I am curious, though, about On election night, what you're going to be looking for, you're a straight shooter, and I know you're also very optimistic of the president's chances. What's a good night uh, early on? What are some uh, signs that you're looking for? And and conversely, what are some concerns of yours if if things are going south? Like, for example, I'm looking at Miami-Dade County. I'm looking at Macomb County out in Wisconsin, excuse me, Michigan. Where where are you going to be focusing a little bit?
1: I could not agree with you more. Look at Miami-Dade like a laser beam. Stay focused on Florida and North Carolina and Georgia. Those will be called fairly early. Um, And and I think that if you see um, the Hispanic and African-American vote in those states uh, is going to be a tale for the rest of the evening. Uh, So the president is going to exceed expectations in both of those. Uh, And I think that that's going to help drive his victory in the other states. So I think you look at those those three, and then as we move uh, west, well, obviously Pennsylvania is a big deal. We'll see. It didn't come in until two a.m. in uh, 2016. We'll see what happens this year. Uh, it depends on the margin of victory and how many votes are outstanding, really. Uh, but uh, Michigan, Wisconsin. Uh, once we get out west, it should be uh, it, it should be pretty clear who's going to win. You got Nevada and Arizona out there. Really, is the only two uh, hanging out, but. But looking at some of these counties,
2: mm-hmm.
1: l- looking at what what trends are transpiring that we're able to identify on election night, yeah, it's going to tell the tale, and I think it's going to tell a great story
0: uh, of President Trump's re-election. David Bossie, always a pleasure to see you. Get, I say get some sleep, but you're not going to sleep. I know you won't. <laughs> not at all. Yeah, thanks, David. Appreciate it. Hey, the president doesn't sleep. I don't sleep. No, that's true. That's a good point. Uh, so. Whatever the president does, you got to make sure you kind of match that enthusiasm. All right, back in a moment with the wonderful Diamond and Silk.
3: What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? (laughs) Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit gocoastguard.com to learn more. Welcome
0: back to the water cooler, everybody. Uh, so, there's an election coming up, you probably heard. Yeah, so there's a guy named Donald Trump, and he's running against, um, wait, let me think. Oh. Yeah, Joe Biden. I wasn't sure if it was Kamala Harris. No, I think it's Joe Biden. Anyhow, let's try to figure all that out with our next guest. Uh, Diamond and Silk are with us. Uh, Diamond and Silk, always great to see you. Thanks for coming back on the show.
4: Oh, thank you. Thank Thank you you for for having having us. us.
0: All right. So what do you think? Where are we? I mean, some great economic numbers recently. Uh, It sounds like a pretty good closing argument for this president. What's your take?
4: Yeah, I think it is a good argument for this president. Let me tell you something. He's been an amazing president. Promises made, promises kept. Uh Uh, We're just coming off of a Woman for Trump tour right here in North Carolina. And what we see is enthusiasm and the enthusiasm, that kind of stuff, turn into votes. People that stand out in the cold or in the hot sun to wait on a rally or to wait to get in for an event Those are the people that's going to stand in line at the voting polls. So we're looking for President Trump to do very well. We're looking for him to remain the 45th president of these United States. That's right.
0: Yeah, I know you've got North Carolina. Obviously, you're down there. Uh, What is your sense? You you really think he can, uh, he's got to have North Carolina. He's got to have it. I absolutely do. Listen, yeah. I don't focus on the poll.
4: I focus on the goal. We're going to win. And here's the thing. If we wasn't winning, why are they trying to push all of this stuff that um – um doesn't seem right or have us questioning or or questioning the integrity of our voting system. That's right. You see what I'm saying? So it doesn't make any sense. Listen, the same thing happened uh, back in 2016. They mm-hmm. said Hillary was up in the polls. Hillary was going to win it, but the enthusiasm is what we saw on the ground. And we right. can only go on what we see. And what we see is enthusiasm for President Donald J. Trump, and we're looking for him to win. It. And keep in mind that we're doing a <clears throat> grassroots works, doing a Women for Trump tour from city to city, from state to state in this country and through this country. We have the opportunity to talk to people, to real people, and it's like Democrats are switching to Trump. They love what he wants to do for this country. They love his prosperity message. They love his optimism. They don't want no, any dark days. They don't want the country closed down. They love exactly what President Trump has to offer, and that's why they will be voting for Donald J. Trump.
0: Ladies, you got the ditch and switch uh, movement down. I mean, that's your movement. And, uh, you know, you talk about this in your latest book about African American voters switching over uh, to Trump to ditch the Democrat Party. What do you think is going to happen in 2020? Because he got what, 8% of the African American vote? What do you expect in, in, in this time around? Listen, I think that he's going to do very well with the
4: African-American vote, with the Black vote, with the Hispanic vote. Mm-hmm. Let me tell you something. Black people are waking up. If you noticed that um, just the other day, it was Lil Wayne. He also endorsed President Trump, his platinum plan. Listen, people are waking up. They yeah. want peace. They want prosperity. They want to also be able to feed their families and send their child child to college or whatever. So That's right. when, when you look at all of this here, I think Black people are waking up. I think that people are going to be probably fairly surprised at uh, the numbers that going to turn out for yeah. President Trump when it comes to the black vote. Listen, back in 2015, we asked them to get off that Democrat plantation. Mm-hmm. We told them you can think for yourself. You have your own mind and you don't need anyone spoon feeding you a narrative. And what you see today is them getting off, walking off what we call the Democrat plantation and li- leaving that liberal ideology behind.
0: That's mm. right. Let me ask you a little bit about Joe Biden uh, and, and what happens. Listen, ladies, I know you're optimistic. You, you know, you think Trump's going to win. But if you wake up November 4th and Biden has won the presidency or is the, the new president elect, if you will, and I'm not suggesting it's going to happen on November 4th. But if it does eventually happen, what, what's going to be going through your mind? I know you don't want to think about that possibility. But if it happened, what, what would you be thinking?
4: Well, we're not going to have a country. Our yeah. liberties, our freedoms, our constitutional rights, are going to be gone. That's right. He's already telling you what he want to do. I'm going to mandate masks. Um, I'm going to, you're going to see some dark days ahead. When people tell you or show you who they are, believe them. Believe them. He's been in government for 47 years. He's done nothing. He's very forgetful. He don't know if he's running for president or the Senate. He don't know who he's running against. It could be George Bush or Judge Washington is what he's thinking, I guess, <laughs> in his mind. Something is seriously wrong with this man. So anybody that vote... For a Jim Crow, Joe, I have to question your integrity. That's right. Listen, if my Black life matters to you, Black people only make up about 13% of America. I think all white people should vote for President Donald J. Trump if we really matter, because Jim Crow, Joe Biden has never done anything for Black people, but decimated Black families sent Black fathers to jail where they couldn't raise their child, reached across the aisle to a segregationist because he didn't want his children going to school in a jungle, mm-hmm. Uh huh. was hand-in-hand hand with a, a, a K-K-K. former KKK member. Yes. That's what he's done. That's, That's right. the stuff that he's done. And when we talk about system, systemic racism, he is the one that put a lot of those systems into place. That's so right. I question anybody that will vote for a Jim Crow Joe Biden.
2: Mm.
0: Ladies, I, I've got to ask you, you're very close to this president. You've gotten to know him. You, you know him well. You prayed for him. You prayed with him. Um, what do you make of the uh, spiritual impact here? I mean, there are a lot of people praying, not just for a second term for the president, but for this country. Uh, so I guess I just wonder what you make of the whole spiritual impact of what we're about to see transpire next week on, on election day. Look.
4: Listen, I absolutely love it. Yeah. Let me tell you something, when you look at the left and they're trying to take God out of the Pledge of Allegiance, they trying to turn our country into a secular country, we need God more than ever. Yeah. We Listen, let me tell you something, David. I was not born a slave. Sip was not born a slave. No, we wasn't. We didn't come over here on no boat, and we didn't cross no border. We were born on this soil. The only thing I know is freedom. When yes. I look at the left and what they're trying to push socialism and communism down our throat, we don't want to see that. When people from Venezuela and Cuba come to our country, they come because they have a place to run to. If we, as patriotic Americans, yes. allow the left to create anarchy and the civil unrest and want to defund our police, where are we going to run? That's That's right. All we know is freedom. We have no place to run because we are the greatest country on earth. And one thing we know about this president, he was created for such a time as this. Yes. Mm. So I'm telling everybody, you all better vote right so you won't get left vote for President Donald J. Trump. Mm. That's right.
0: So ladies, we have about 30 seconds left or so. Speaking about voting, what do you think? What's the prediction? Uh, A close election? Do you think this is going to go all the way to the Supreme Court? Do you think it's going to be a Trump landslide? What, what, what What are you thinking? You know what? I'm looking for a Trump landslide. That's, That's right. what I'm looking for. I want people to go to the
4: polls to vote. Treat your vote as if it was a million-dollar lottery ticket. You wouldn't mail in a, a million-dollar lottery ticket. You would take it in. Treat your vote as if it was a million dollars. Go to the poll and vote. And, and make vote sure for President Donald J. Trump. And make sure you vote red. R-E-D, R-E-D remove every, every Democrat. Democrat. And vote red all the way down the ticket. It's imperative that we take back the House, keep the Senate... And the White House. That's you ladies, right.
0: You ladies are an American classic. I really hope you'll come back out on the come on the show again. Thank you so much. Thank, Thank you for, you for having, us. having us. All right, boy, they do everything in tandem. I love that. I mean, that that's that's professional stuff. I mean, it's like authentically professional. All right. Uh, when we come back, we're going to talk to Carrie Severino uh, with the Judicial Crisis Network about the packing of the Supreme Court. It may be coming, folks. Back in a moment. Welcome back to The Water Cooler, everybody. All right, I've got three words for you. President Joe Biden. That sends shivers down the spine of nearly every Republican, unless you're a never-Trump Republican, uh, especially when it comes to the Supreme Court and the future of what we're calling court packing. It sounds like a kind of a neat little thing. Oh, court packing. No, it's not, actually. Uh, Let's bring in Kerry Severino uh, with Judicial Crisis Network. Uh, Kerry, thanks so much for being here. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Well, I don't even know where to begin. Uh, why don't we just go back? We, we've heard so much about court packing. Why don't you, for, for folks that need a 101 explanation of what we're talking about here, let's, let's do a reset and explain for folks if they're just kind of coming into all of this as to what this is and how important it could be in the future.
6: Yeah, and that's a good idea because there's a lot of people that are trying to redefine these terms. You know, we had like the living constitution and let's let's redefine the word the constitution. The same crowd is trying to redefine the term court packing. They're saying that anytime you're trying to fill the court with judges, that's court packing. So, Donald Trump has been packing the court with great conservative uh, constitutionalist justices. Well, that's like a colloquial way that we might use that term, but that's not what we're talking about with we talk about court packing. Court packing is the idea of adding seats to the Supreme Court so that your party has a majority on the court and that's something that has been tried historically franklin delano roosevelt most famously attempted this because he was so frustrated that the court was refusing to uphold his unconstitutional new new deal legislation so he said oh my gosh i can't wait for these guys to die or retire i just need to get a court and it's going to approve my stuff so he said let's add a bunch of seats to the court and even his even this very popular president with strong democratic support in the Senate, they said, no, this would be horrible for the country. This is not, this would be politicizing the court. And that's something that Ruth Bader Ginsburg herself agreed. She said it was tried then, that it wasn't a good idea with Roosevelt. It's not a good idea now, nine is a good number. Even uh, Bernie Sanders has said, this would be a bad idea because what it would trigger is this runway ratchet You know, Democrats are saying, well, let's add four seats so we have a political majority on the court, treating it like it's, you know, another house of the legislature or something. Mm -hmm. And then the Republicans, when they got power, would probably just do the same thing, and then as as uh, Sandra said, you're, you're going to have 87 seats in the court. We need to build a whole new annex to the building to hold all the new justices. That would be horrible, and it would and it would be it's it's an explicitly partisan approach to the branch that is supposed to be nonpartisan.
0: Well, and Kerry, here's the truth of the matter: President, or I say President Joe Biden. Listen to me. Now I'm getting sucked in. Hold on Please. for a second. What am I talking about? Uh, but Joe Biden won't answer the court packing question. But you know what? When he doesn't answer it, it's an answer. I mean, it doesn't take a rocket right. scientist to figure out that he's going to. Pack the courts if he gets elected.
6: Yeah, I mean, his whole MO has been to try to say, I'm this moderate option. I'm a great middle of the roader. But what we've seen practically speaking, and this issue is a great example, he himself has said court packing is a boneheaded idea. That is, that is Biden's own term for it. And yet now, and during the, this campaign even, he said he was like one of the only Democrat uh, potential nominees who said, I don't think it's a good idea. Now, that he's getting these pushes from the left. And it seems like the people who are really in the driver's seat in this campaign are the most radical, uh, loud, angry leftist voices. And the moderation is thrown out the window. And now he's like, well, yeah, I would I'd consider court packing. Um, and he, now he, he's trying to cover up by saying, I'll have a commission that's going to look at it. Look, guys, if he was against court packing, he wouldn't be running for it so hard because Americans don't want that on the court. Yeah. He is too scared to, to, to scare off the vociferous left by saying, I wouldn't do that. And that's exactly the same thing I would expect if he's in office. He's not going to have the spine to stand up to these radical voices who are saying, you know, no, no holds barred, nothing is off the table. We need to take control of all three branches of government. I think that would, again, be be, be making the court into a bigger political football, even than it already is.
0: Well, and who knows if he'll even be, uh, uh, you know, I say in office. I mean, in other words, if he does become President Joe Biden, that could be for a, for a, a quick minute uh, until the 25th Amendment and Kamala Harris come on. I mean, it is the Harris-Biden administration, after all. Don't take my word for it, take Kamala Harris's word for it. As She said it the other day. Hey, uh, let me ask you about the support. Supreme Court uh, as it relates to the founding of this country, because there isn't anything in the founding documents that say uh, the court has to be a certain way with nine or six, I guess originally it was six uh, Supreme Court justices, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, what's the thinking behind that?
6: Well, look, it's not in the Constitution. So this is one of the, people have talked about other modifications to the court, like term limits. All of those require constitutional amendments. So court packing wouldn't, it's a statute that says we've had as few as five and as many as 10 justices on the court, so you could you know, add seats to the court if you had both houses of, of Congress and the president agreeing. That's, that's why this is a scenario that happens if the Democrats win all three of those uh, areas. The The challenge with court packing isn't that it's unconstitutional. They could do it. It's that it would be so damaging to do it, particularly in an explicitly partisan way. This isn't saying, oh, gosh, these justices, you know, there's just too much work because for them. They need help. It's not like the lower courts where more judges means less work. They're all sitting on all the cases, right? right? They're not even trying to make neutral arguments. They're simply saying, we want more Democrat appointees to the court. What happened is, for decades, there was liberal control of the Supreme Court. And now they finally were at a moment where they don't think they actually have the upper hand, that they they think that there's judges who aren't gonna just enact liberal policy from the bench, but are really gonna look at what the law is. It's not enough for them to say, well, okay, let's change the law so it's the way they like it. They would rather take the easy route and just say, no, no, we'll get enough votes in the court and they can write the law for us. That's really frightening. That's not how the constitution envisioned it, having judges doing the legislating job.
0: Uh, Carrie, before we uh, finish up here, I've got to ask you about the federal appeals court uh, level and all of this. So what really doesn't get, it's really underreported, this legacy, and it's a legacy by this president of what, uh, what's happened at the federal appeals court level. I know Mitch McConnell likes to talk a lot about it and, you know, the federalists and, your, and, and folks like yourself. But I mean, I don't think people really understand the impact of what has happened at the federal appeals court level when it comes to this,
6: this president, what's happened here. Yeah, it's so true. This is an is is a huge impact. We talk about the Supreme Court so much, but remember, they take fewer than one percent of the cases that are that are appealed to them. Ninety nine plus percent are decided finally at the appellate court level. And Trump has made historic uh, numbers of appellate court nominations over fifty judges on the appeals court, and these aren't just. You know, what they have an R after their name, kind of judges. These are judges who have shown courage in standing up for originalism and textualism. They are really the, some of the best and the brightest young constitutional scholars, uh, well known advocates before the court, all sorts of uh, amazing things happening. We have several circuits that now have flipped from. Democrat uh, con- Democrat appointees being mm. the majority to Republican appointees. But that doesn't even tell the whole story. There are places where you have, you know, again, as I said, where people had an R behind their name that were judges, but they didn't have that the constitutionalist principles who then are now being replaced by very courageous young judges. And you yeah. have places like the Ninth Circuit, which is known for being... Totally right. radical. The most most likely to go overturn at the Supreme Court now is almost at parity 13 to sixteen. It's an incredible achievement.
0: Yeah, Carrie, that's that is a whole nother story. That's very interesting, worth unpacking, so to speak. Uh, Carrie Severino, thanks so much for being here. I appreciate it. Appreciate it. Thanks. All right. Uh, coming up, college students and colleges preparing for mental instability about Trump back in the
7: Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply.
0: Welcome back to The Water Cooler, everybody. All right. Look, if Donald Trump uh, wins the presidency yet again, there's going to (laughs) be I don't I don't I'm laughing. Uh, There's going to be a major meltdown in this country. I'm just saying Uh, folks are going to just go a bit berserk. The liberals and Democrats are going to, we won't be able to contact them for any interviews. They'll literally be on the floor uh, and we'll need smelling salts to revive them. I'm telling you it's going to happen. Trust me. We've got smelling salts here at the water cooler. I believe that's in the budget if I'm not mistaken. And then at actual universities, uh, check this out. We've got some headlines that we've seen around uh, the country. Look at the college fix uh, talking about this. Universities prepare students to cope with 2020 election results. And it just keeps going uh, on and on. Uh, As a matter of fact, uh, I want to talk more about this with Thane Rosenbaum. He's a distinguished university professor at Turo College. Uh, Dr. Rosenbaum, or excuse me, Professor Rosenbaum, thanks for being here. Appreciate it.
3: Any, anytime, David.
0: What do you make of what's happening at some of these universities? We're seeing Harvard, Michigan. Uh, there's others. I mean, it's it's out of control.
3: But it's also it's predictable, David. It's all part of the uh, you know the in, what we call the intersectional woke protocols of the university life, right? Where a, an extreme focus is on providing safe spaces, which is the term of art, uh, to vulnerable minority students and students of color. Uh, and LGBT uh, sexual orientation. So we've seen this in many ways. It's sort of the coddling of American students on campuses, which unfortunately doesn't really prepare them for real life.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm looking at some of this uh, just in front of me. I mean, they actually have, there's a whole pamphlet. There's a a book about it here at the University of Michigan uh, talking about uh, a booklet called Preparing to Teach About the 2020 Election and After. What what do college students take away from this? I mean, you talked about the downside of this, but w- when they see something like that, I mean, I would think, especially as a conservative college student, eh, there are some out there, actually, uh, that's got tough to be tough to handle.
3: Hey, David, you just hit on the great irony of our little talk, which is the, the greatest percentage of minority students in college campuses are conservative students, uh, you know, they make up the smallest number, uh, at least in terms of their self-identification. But because they're primarily white and are seen as part of the white privileged ruling class, they're not perceived in any way. For instance, they couldn't come to the dean of students and say, I'm worried about a Biden presidency. You know, it makes me feel endangered or traumatized. A Jewish student, for instance, couldn't go to a dean or a Christian Christian evangelical, couldn't say, I'm a little concerned that the Biden administration won't be nearly as sympathetic to Israel as was Donald Trump. So I feel endangered or I feel traumatized or I feel targeted. The the student would be laughed off campus. So the focus, again, is, is only on students of color, sexual orientation, And we see this it's look it's in the teaching of courses faculty members david are often afraid to to teach their classes because if they hit upon a word or an issue or a book uh, that is upsetting or hurtful what's called a trigger warning or a microaggression and that all of a sudden the student feels targeted or endangered it's I, i know it sounds ridiculous but welcome to collegiate life david
0: Well, and speaking about collegiate life, what is where does that leave conservative uh, students at this point? In other words, you you write an essay, uh, whether it be about abortion or some hot button topic, uh, criminal justice reform, whatever it happens to be. uh, And and, what you could potentially be graded uh, in a way that might not necessarily be uh, the way it should have been graded in the first place. I mean, you don't know exactly. I'm sure students go through this all the time.
3: You're asking rhetorically, and I'm going to answer it definitely. Yes, you should not write a paper like that. I'm saying, if, if you're listening yeah. to Dave show, don't do that. If, you really, if you're worried about your GPA, don't do that. Write about something else. Uh, your conservative principles are simply not welcome. And that's for someone like me, uh, who believes in liberal arts leg- education. What does it mean to be on a university uh, campus. The exchange of ideas, robust debate, the marketplace of ideas, that's gone. Uh, there are certainly words, ideas that are forbidden. And yes, there are topics of, to write in favor of Israel is, is, is you know, not a smart strategic oh, move right. uh, in, any, in any class on campus. And so what you're seeing here is the, the second presidency of Donald Trump will endanger or traumatize or put targets yeah. On the bodies of students of color, LGBT sexual orientation, uh, people who are in minority status. Now, remember, David. Nobody, you know, certainly I thought we should always be more sensitive to minorities, right? Right. We should, of course. This goes, this goes way beyond sensitivity, David. What we're seeing, what I say, what I said earlier, these intersectional woke protocols. This is extreme. This is very different. It goes to the idea that you said, "I can't write a paper about something." I couldn't tell at lunch a number of other students that I'm, I, my parents are voting for Donald Trump or that I'm voting for Donald Trump. Nobody would admit to that. So yes, there is a suppression of intellectual life if you're a conservative student who has, uh, you know, any conservative leanings, and you know, God forbid, you're, you 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 are a supporter of Donald Trump.
0: No, it's absolutely ridiculous. So, so where's the? Is there any hope here? I mean, is this train left the station? What do not just students, but I mean, you as a professor. I mean, how do you kind of how do you say it? Fight the system or fight the mentality, fight the ideology. What do you do?
3: Well, you know, it's a really good point, David. But we're we're reaching the the tipping point because what we used to believe, people like me used to believe, well. This was confined to university life. Don't worry. <laughs> unless you're on a campus for four years or unless you're an academic, you won't see it. The day they graduate, they go into the real world. They got to earn a living. They got to pay rent. And all of a sudden, they're judged according to more rigorous criteria. And no one outside is going to protect them in the same way from words or books or ideas that they find unpleasant or un- uh, displeasing. That, that I, I was wrong, David. <laughs> uh, that- it has left the barn. It is outside. We saw that with the New York Times this year, with the Tom Cotton op-ed that was—they apologized for, they withdrew their support for, they resigned because of it. For the same reason. Here's the words that the Times staff used: the op-ed endangered the lives of the of the writers and editors at the New York Times. And I would say, how? How? Right. How? And what? In what moral universe or political universe was anyone endangered by an op-ed that, by the way, introduced the idea of invoking the Insurrection Act, which was used to integrate the Deep South? So it was used to help African-Americans in the 1950s and 1960s. But now.
0: Dr. Rosenbaum. Lost you there at the end, but definitely got the point and uh, appreciate you and hope you will come back on. All right. When we come back, Donald Trump, he's called Orange Man Bad. We have a different take. Orange Shark Bad. Back in a moment.
5: Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today.
0: Welcome back to The Waterfall, everybody. Time now for the last sip of oh, Friday last sip, so we might be a bit out of control because it is Friday. And, you know, we've had a lot of uh, pent-up not frustration. We love the show, but, you know, there's a lot of intensity in the air, especially in this election. Hey, by the way, have you heard that Donald Trump is the devil? I don't know if you've heard that. It's true. I, I mean, well, I, I, I'm not necessarily saying that, but if you listen to liberals and Democrats, they can't stand him. Uh, the media, liberals and Democrats, <laughs> uh, they can't stand him either. Uh, so th- the list goes on and on. He's responsible for global warming. He wants to kick, uh, you know, immigrants out of the country, even though this just in, he's married to an immigrant. Anyhow, See, that's the pent up frustration in me. Uh, so, so it's like orange man bad for sure. But we decided, you know what? Here at the water cooler, he's not orange man bad apparently. Uh, we have a different word and a name and a term for him. As a matter of fact, let's roll some of that video so we can show you. Uh, We've decided, there he is. He's orange shark bad uh, because he's a shark. I, Trump, there he is. Trump is the shark. And with the Make America Great again, hat in the water. Uh, the orange shark in the water trying to destroy basically everybody that comes at him. So he's like the jaws. He's like the, uh, the orange jaws, if you will, against the media, against Democrats, against liberals, against Pelosi, against Adam Schiff. I can go on and on. Uh, the bottom line is Donald Trump, uh, and, w- and there he is, that's, that's basically him in four years. Uh, just becoming the shark every single day. And here's the thing, and that's why, the reason we're putting up the shark video, and by the way, that hair, I love how the hair is like floating next to him. But anyhow, I'm sorry, I'm digressing as I look at the shark. I love that still picture of the shark, by the way. That's, can we just hold that shot? Oh, Parker, that's beautiful. Just, oh, let's just keep that. That's just, because here's what I want to say about that ugly, ugly, (laughs) that's an ugly shark. I mean, not that Donald Trump is ugly, though some people would think he is. But look, the bottom line is, You you gotta understand, Americans like that, I think. Maybe not that picture necessarily, but they like the orange shark. That's what they like in mainstream America. And when I say mainstream America, I'm not talking about California or New York, but they like Trump because he's not a politician and he turns over a few tables and he tells it like it is. And yeah, he's rough around the edges, this just in, he's from New York, but he's a billionaire, a successful one who speaks like a cab driver, and they like how he cuts through all the. Can I say this word? I'm going to say the word. Uh, do we have a seven second delay? That's all right. Crap. That's not that bad of a word. But he cuts through the crap. That's what he does. And that's why Democrats can't stand him. And he is orange shark bad. That's our new little friend for the show. Back in a moment.
7: CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car.
0: Welcome back to The Water Cooler as we end the show. Uh, you know, Mitch McConnell said today that there is a 50-50 chance that Democrats take control of the Senate. Thanks, Mitch McConnell. So, in other words, you have no idea. And let's be honest, neither do any of us at this point. Who is going to take control of the Senate uh, come January of 2021? Oh, it's nice to say 2021, by the way, and not always have to say 2020. This year is driving me berserk. Uh, let's bring in uh, Nick Ballacy, uh our Just the New Senior reporter. Nick, thanks for being here.
2: Thanks for having me back, David.
0: So, Nick, tell us about your travel plans in terms of – well, not your personal travel plans. If you'd like to disclose those, those are fine. We'll just put up the orbits receipts. But, but to tell us a little bit about the Senate races and what's going on where you're heading.
2: Yeah, so there are plenty of tight races going on. There's about 12 races to watch. Some of them include Colorado, Michigan, South Carolina, North Carolina. And as you alluded to in the opening of the segment here, Cook Political Report and other uh, polling organizations, they're predicting that the Democrats are in, in a really great position to be able to take back the Senate. They need to pick up three seats if Biden wins the White House. They need to pick up four seats if Biden loses to Trump to gain the majority. The GOP's held the majority since 2014 in the midterm elections there. Is it, is it a, a chance for Democrats to take it? It looks like it's a good possibility. But again, a lot of this depends on turnout on Election Day. And it's just an unprecedented time with an election being held during a pandemic. Uh, McConnell, he might be on point there about 50-50. Uh, the fundraising has been through the roof for Democrats uh, in the homestretch here of the election. So uh, we, we'll have to see. Yeah, we got 30 seconds or so. What, where
0: are some of the – you think Lindsey Graham could get through here? He's in that tight race. Joni Ernst is in trouble. Martha McSally. Uh, yeah, I can go down the list. I mean, Tom Tillis, uh, Cory Gardner, my goodness. Uh, you got 30 seconds, though, Nick. What do you think?
2: Yeah, a lot of GOP co- incumbents look like uh, they're in trouble, the ones you just named. Lindsey Graham, he might be able to pull it off. Uh, it looks like Cory Gardner, though, uh, he's got a lot of ground to make up heading into Election Day. Uh, the the former governor Hickenlooper he's way up in the polls, mm-hmm. and uh, and yeah. the Kelly race, the Kelly and McSally that's a that's a toss up.
0: Yeah, Nick, I appreciate it. We're going to be checking in with you next week. Thanks so much, appreciate it. All right, uh, that does it for our show this week. Next week we got a lot of guests coming. Uh, Newt Gingrich on the show on Monday. Uh, we got Nick Mulvaney. We got Alan Dershowitz. Still trying to get my mother. Uh, that may happen sometime in a few years. Have a good weekend.